Luke 21 is where you can turn in your Bibles as I'm going to start the second part of this series, The Best Day of Your Life. This series, I'm talking about what happens on the day that Jesus returns. Uh, Jesus told us in Luke 21 that we're going to read here in just a second. Jesus told us some of the signs of the end times, and he told us when we see these things to look up, our redemption draws near. So we're talking about the issue of redemption, Luke 21, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and on the earth the stress of nation with uh, the stress of nations with perplexity. Perplexity means there's no answer. That's what's happening in the world right now. Problems in the world that there are no answers for. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, terror, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So Jesus says the end is one generation. When you see these things start happening, the end is near. The end times doesn't happen over two or 300 years. Jesus said the generation that sees these things happen will see all things fulfilled. A generation, Psalm 90 says, the days of a man's life are 70 years, or if by reason of strength they're 80 years, this is 70 years since the beginning of Israel, since Israel was reborn. The May 14th of 2018 was their 70th anniversary. So I don't know how much longer we have, but we're seeing all the things happening. One of the signs of the end times is the depravity of mankind and a rebellion against God. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, that there would be, he said, because lawlessness abounds, the love of many would grow cold. Lawlessness means rebellion against God. It doesn't mean you speed and don't pay your taxes. The word there is anomia, and it means a rebellion against God. Second Thessalonians chapter two, the apostle Paul says, the coming of Christ will not come until the apostasy takes place. Apostasy means a great falling away from truth. We're seeing these things in our generation. This is happening right now. This is what Paul told Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, Timothy, in the last days, very dangerous times will come because men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving. And by the way, the word unloving there is the Greek word ostorgeia. It means they don't even love their families. Look at the number of parents killing their children and children killing their parents. It was unheard of 30 or 40 years ago. It's commonplace today. Unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutals, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 18 descriptions the apostle Paul gives to people in the end times, and that's the way people are today. Not you, not many people, but the world in general has just completely fallen away from the moral standards of God. In fact, it's a moral freefall right now. There's just a moral rebellion going on against God. That's one of the signs of the end times. Jesus said, when you see those things happening, you need to get excited because your redemption is drawing near. Now, the reason that many people don't get excited is they don't understand the concept of redemption. The word redeem, where we get our word redemption from, it means to purchase back. You had to have once had it to redeem it. So Adam and Eve had everything. They, they were born with the whole package. But through their rebellion against God, they lost it. But Jesus came and purchased it back on the cross. Everything we lost, he purchased it back. But we only have a very small amount of what Jesus came to redeem 
But on the day that Jesus comes, we get everything back. Our redemption draws near. One of the things we talked about last week was a new body. We get a brand new, supernatural, supranatural, unbelievably wonderful body. The day that Jesus comes. Anybody ready for a new body? I want a new body. If you don't want a new body, you're going to get old and you're going to want one. I promise. You're going to want one. I want a new body. Jesus is going to come. We have an eternal body that will never age, that will always work perfectly, and that we can travel at the speed of thought that we can interact with the physical realm, but also interact with every other dimension. It is absolutely phenomenal when you think about it. In this message today, I wanna to talk about redeemed pleasure. This is another thing that we get back when Jesus comes. We get new bodies, but we get pleasure back. Adam and Eve were created in Eden. Eden means pleasure. The name Eden means delight and pleasure. God created mankind in Pleasureville in Pleasure City, Pleasure-rama, whatever you want to call it. God never intended for a human being to suffer. He is the best parent in the universe. What parent would want their child to feel pain? If you had the choice of your child not feeling pain or feeling pain, all of us as parents, I would rather hurt than watch my kids hurt. God's the same way. God never intended for a human being to experience pain but when Adam and Eve rebelled, that ushered in pain into the human race. And here's the account of it in Genesis 3. This is verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And let me stop right there. That phrase, your desire will be for your husband, here's what that means. You're gonna to wanna to dominate your husband, but he's gonna dominate you. You're gonna constantly battle for the control in this relationship. The peace and the wonderful relationship that you had with your husband before, I'm, there's, it's off. I, there is gonna be a battle with no decided winner. You're gonna vie for control. Then he said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So pain came into the human race on that day when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And since then you cannot even calculate the amount of emotional pain, rejection, loss, failure, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, divorce, etc., physical pain, abuse, illness, accidents, violence, death, mental pain, confusion, deception, abuse, lies, ignorance, poverty, spiritual attacks, mental illness, relational and family pain, dysfunction, rebellion, abuse, breakup, betrayal, rejection, unmet needs, dominance. All of those things were ushered into the human race on the day that Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God. But here's the good news I have for you. The day is coming very soon when Jesus comes. And on the day that Jesus comes, you will never for all of eternity ever experience pain again. We get, we get our pleasure back. This is Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no more sea. In the new earth that God will create, there will not be an ocean. No more sea. Then I, John, saw the, new, the holy city, New Jerusalem. That's the Father's house. That's where we live with Jesus. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, that's us, 
adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Somebody say amen. Amen. No more pain. No more pain. People that want to hang on to this life and they somehow don't want Jesus to come or they have a fear of Jesus coming, you just don't understand. You don't want to hang on to this. This is a torture chamber compared to that. When Jesus comes, all the pain goes away, but there's better news than that. Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Heaven is not just a place where there's no more pain. Heaven is a place where there are exquisite pleasures for eternity. The way that God desired in the Garden of Eden, exquisite pleasures. Listen, every pleasure in heaven is better than any pleasure on earth today. It's beyond you can possibly understand. How do I know that? 1 Corinthians 2, 9, as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And what it means is you just, you can't understand it in this life. Heaven is so much beyond earth, it's just difficult for us to even comprehend of the pleasures and the blessings that are gonna be in heaven, 2 Corinthians 12, I I told you about this scripture last week, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast, this is Paul, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, he's speaking about himself now, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or out, out of the body, I don't know, God knows, such a one was caught up, that's rapture, that's harpazo, rapture, to the third heaven, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words what it is not lawful for a man to utter. When he got up there, there's no way to translate the language of heaven back to earth. He said, I heard things, but there's no language for it here. It's so much better than here, but he calls it paradise. On the cross, Jesus turned to the thief on the cross and said, assuredly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Eden is a paradise. We're going to go back to paradise when Jesus, with Jesus, when he returns. And there's five elements to paradise. For something to be a paradise, five things have to exist. All of them have to exist. If any one of them doesn't exist, it cannot qualify as being a paradise. So here are the five things that are going to be true of heaven when we get there. Number one, beauty. You don't want to, you you never call an ugly place paradise wouldn't do it. Number two is comfortable. It's, it accommodates the senses. It's a very comfortable place. The third is pleasure. It's pleasurable. The senses of your body are pleasured in paradise. Number four is plenty. There's plenty of everything. There's plenty to go around. You never have to worry about running out. Number five is safety. You're safe there. Beauty, comfort, pleasure, plenty, and safety. Heaven is a place of total pleasure in paradise and hell is a place of absolute torment. You could not find a greater difference between heaven and hell. Compared to the paradise Jesus is talking to, you have never experienced pleasure before. You think you have. You think that there are pleasures on this earth, 
that somehow that you want to hang on to this. I'm telling you, when you get to heaven, not only will you not have any more pain, you will look back on this life and understand the level of pain that was here and that nothing here compares to anything there. And every, every, by the way, every pleasure on earth has a downside to it. I don't know if you thought about that. There's no downside in heaven, but everything here has a downside. If you eat too much, you gain weight, but not in paradise, you can eat forever, not gain weight. <laughs> True. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm ordering chocolate thunder from down under. That's my favorite dessert. You re if you rest too much, you get lazy and you fail. If you cross sexual parameters, you destroy your marriage and family. If you stay in the sun too long, you get a sunburn. If you spend too much, you go broke, but not in heaven. There's no such thing. Remember, there's no more pain. No more pain. No more sickness. No more sorrow. No more crying. In heaven, you can do anything you want to do as long as you want to do it, and there's no downside. Everything on earth has a downside, but not in heaven. So I want you to dream with me for just a minute. Now, the purpose of what I'm about to do is not to teach you the Bible. Okay. I'm going to dream for just a minute. This is Jimmy Evans speaking. Okay. I'm going to be very careful about this. This is my rendition of heaven. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read to you what I imagine about heaven. Okay. I'm not saying it's real, but I just want to maybe expand your view of heaven and get to th you to think about it in a different way. The highlight of heaven is God's presence. He is at the center of paradise, New Jerusalem. So when you get to heaven, you go into God's presence and worship him with the perfect voice and heaven's music that is a thousand times better than any music you have ever heard, and you're in his very presence where there's fullness of joy, and your heart is exploding with joy and happiness, and you stay there for a million years, and you never get tired, distracted, or bored. After a million years in God's presence, you decide to go with some friends and family to eat at the banquet table in paradise. You're waited on by angels and eat the most unbelievably delicious food for 15,000 earth years while you're having incredible conversations and fun with everyone and you never gain weight, feel full, get sick, need to go to the restroom or need to stop. <laughs> then you decide to go back to your mansion and have a family reunion. You tell one of the angels to gather your family and have them come to your mansion. One second later, you're in your mansion, which is on 500 acres in paradise. Your relatives begin arriving. The angels have everything perfectly prepared and serve you and your family for 3,600 years. You eat, play games, have fun, talk about memories. No one gets their feelings hurt or says or does anything hurtful. Everyone is mature, sensitive to each other and godly and very loving and affectionate to one another. There are no ants, insects, you never get a sunburn and no one ever gets injured. You never need money and everything you want is immediately served by the angels. At the end of the family reunion, someone suggests that you go on an adventure. So you and your, a group of friends and relatives take a 14,000-year journey to explore the earth. <laughs> there are no wild animals. You can get anywhere you want to go immediately. The world is a paradise, and there is thrill after thrill that is beautiful beyond description. You can climb to the highest mountain without getting fatigued. You can swim in and under the water for 100 years and never tire. There are no sharks or dangerous animals. There are no deserts or bad places on the earth, and there is no place where any bad thing has ever happened before. The old earth of sin and corruption is gone. At the end of your adventure on the earth, everyone is thrilled and excited. Someone says they were exploring the universe with a group of friends recently, and they found a galaxy 300 million light years away that was really cool. So you all agree to go, and one second later, you're there. For the next 30,000 years, you explore that galaxy and its stars together as you share great experiences and see things that are beyond description. Everything you see is different from anything you've ever seen before is extremely fun and interesting. 
After this, you all decide to go back home and visit the Hall of Pavilions, where you meet all the heroes of the Bible. All of the 12 disciples have their own pavilions, as well as the Apostle Paul, Mary, the mother of Jesus, King David, Daniel, Esther, and all the other Bible characters. In each pavilion, you personally meet each character and spend time talking with them and getting to know them. Also, in each of their pavilions, there's a 3D movie of what actually took place in their areas of the Bible. In Noah's pavilion, you get to watch when he built the ark as well as the flood. In Elijah's pavilion, you get to watch as he defeated the prophets of Baal. You get to watch King David in his pavilion defeating Goliath. In Mary's pavilion, you get to watch the birth of Jesus in his childhood. You also get to watch his miracles in ministry. You stay in the hall of pavilions for 40,000 years. After this, you have a strong desire to be in God's presence and worship him. So one second later, you're all in God's presence. As you're worshiping God, he looks at you and smiles. Just then you realize that an angel has you by the hand, leading you toward God's throne. Suddenly you find yourself face to face with God and for 100 years, he personally loves you and gives you affection as he speaks words of affirmation to you. When you are finished, you return to your place and worship him for 7 million more years with a perfect voice and never get distracted or fatigued. And then some friends ask you to go to the banquet table and eat and so on and so on and so on. That's the heaven according to Jimmy. The purpose of that is not to tell you anything biblical. The purpose of that is just to mess up your hairdo. I want you to think differently about heaven than you've ever, it's fabulous. It's exciting. Remember I told you the story of the friend I was trying to lead to the Lord and I told him, where would you go? I asked him, where would you go if you died? And he said, well, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to float around on a, on a cloud playing a harp. Does that sound like floating around on a cloud playing a harp? Listen, I has not seen nor ear heard, now ha nor has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. I know that what I just said isn't biblical because it entered my heart. It's better than that. Heaven is so much greater, is so much more exciting. The universe is our playground. We get to live in the presence of God. And there's no more pain. There's no, we, we never have to sleep. We never get tired. We never fatigue. There's no more fighting. Everyone's mature. Everyone's godly. There's no more rejection. There's no more hurt feelings. You can do everything that you want to do. In other words, when you say like, say like feeling, you tell someone that you love them, you can. When you feel like hugging someone, you can. You can show expression. You can do things that you could never do here on the earth. But let me read to you a story that is true. There's a man named Don Piper, and he died and went to heaven for an hour and a half. He was killed in a car wreck. This is all documented in his book. It's called 90 Minutes in Heaven, A True Story of Life and Death. This is well documented. He was in a car wreck, and he was dead for an hour and a half. And in that hour and a half time, he went to heaven. And here was his record of what happened when he went to heaven. Everything I experienced was like a first-class buffet for the senses. I had never felt such powerful embraces or feasted my eyes on such beauty. Heaven's light and texture defy earthly eyes or explanation. Warm, radiant light engulfed me. As I looked around, I could hardly grasp the vivid, dazzling colors. Every hue and tone surpassed anything I had ever seen. With all of the heightened awareness of my senses, I felt as if I had never seen, heard, or felt anything so real before. I don't recall that I tasted anything, yet I knew that if I had, that too would have been more glorious than anything I'd eaten or drunk on the earth. The best way I can explain it is to say that I felt as if I was in another dimension. Never even in all my happiest moments had I ever felt so fully alive. 
I stood speechless in front of the crowd of loved ones, still trying to take in everything. Over and over, I heard how overjoyed they were to see me and how excited they were to have me among them. I'm not sure if they actually said the words or not, but I knew that they had been waiting on me and expecting me, yet I knew that in heaven there was no sense of time passing. And you're just a twinkling of an eye away from that. We're going to go to a place that is indescribable, a place of the greatest joy and pleasure that you can possibly imagine. And people who don't receive Jesus go to the worst place that you can possibly imagine called hell. And I want to finish this message by asking a question. How could a loving God send people to hell? This is a question maybe if you have unbelieving friends or relatives and you're talking to them about the Lord, someone might pose that question to you. And several times during this series, I'm going to stop and answer these kind of questions. Why would a loving God send people to hell? And I want to answer this in three parts. The first is this, the ultimate gift that God has given us is a free will. But with that free will comes consequences. When God gave Adam and Eve a free will, I'm talking about free will a lot, I think, in my last message, is when God gave Adam and Eve a free will, he said, I'm putting a tree over there that you can't eat. I'm also going to talk about the importance of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is you can't eat of that tree. So they had a free will, so they, they could choose what to do with their free will. And they chose sin. They chose to rebel against God. And when they chose to sin, the consequences, God warned them of the consequences. When God took the children of Israel into the promised land, he went through just a very elaborate process of telling them everything good that would happen if they obeyed, everything bad that would happen if they disobeyed. He said, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that you can live and your children can live but they chose death. The children of Israel constantly rebelled against God, even though he constantly warned them of what would happen if they rebelled against him. And you say, well, Jimmy, I just think everybody ought to go to heaven. People ought to live their life. God ought to love everybody. Everybody ought to go to heaven. So in other words, there should be no difference between a loving mother and a child abuser, a murderer and a doctor, a thief and a diligent worker, a drunk and an Olympic athlete, an atheist and a missionary, a cynic and a believer, Adolf Hitler and Abraham, the apostle Peter and Judas, Osama bin Laden and SEAL Team Six, Abraham Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth, Martin Luther King and the Ku Klux Klan. You're saying everybody lives their life and everybody gives the same. That is called chaos and meaninglessness. What does any decision in any person's life mean if all roads lead to the same path? A Satanist and a priest get to the same place. Choice means nothing. Choice means nothing. Consequences are out the window. God, from the very beginning, gave us a precious gift, the gift of a free will. And he says, you can use that free will to love me. That's what I want you to do. That's why there was only one tree in the garden that was a bad tree. There were thousands, if not tens of thousands of good trees. God didn't stack the deck against them. There was only one choice that they could make against God. And he didn't want them to make it. I'll tell you about the importance of that tree in another message. But I'm saying he didn't want them to make it. But they did. They did. There are consequences. We have a free will and there are consequences with that free will. Another way that I want to answer this question is to say this is not God's first rodeo. This is not the first time that God's gone through this. He did make choices for everyone to go to heaven twice. And it didn't work out. You say, Jimmy, where was that? The first paradise, the first Eden of God is described in Ezekiel 28. And it says that God had a paradise in eternity's past 
And he created a very high order of angels, very high order, including Lucifer, who later became Satan. And it called that place Eden, the garden of God, and Satan was a covering cherub in the presence of God. He had musical instruments built into his body. He was a worship leader in heaven. So Lucifer, which means light bearer, reflected the glory of God. And God chose, listen, listen, God chose for all of them to be there. They didn't choose. God created them in paradise, Eden, paradise. God created them. He chose for them to be there. Then one day Satan decided he was going to take Lucifer, decided he was going to take God's place. He began to behold his own beauty. He fell in love with himself as the first narcissist, and he led one-third of the angels in heaven in rebellion to God, and Eden was spoiled. God decided, all of you are going to live in my presence. And they said, maybe we don't want to. That's hard for good people to understand. That's hard for Christian people to understand, that there are people that in God's presence would reject him. But it's constantly happened. It happened in the first Eden in Ezekiel. It happened in the second Eden in Genesis. God created an even higher order of being in his image, mankind, Adam and Eve, in the second Eden. And he decided for them to be there. He decided for them to be there. He decided for them to be there. And then one day they sold him for a piece of fruit and slapped him in the face. And you think, why wouldn't they want to be in his presence? You you just don't understand. God came to earth in the form of a man and they crucified him. You don't understand, not everybody loves God the way you love God. They're evil people. The next paradise is the third Eden. The place where we're going is the third Eden. And God does not want that Eden to be spoiled by rebellion. He tried it twice. In Ezekiel 28, in Genesis 1 and 2, God created beings and put them in his presence and they spit on him and slapped him in the face and rebelled against him and tried to take it away from him. The place that we are going, there will never be a rebellion in all of eternity because everyone there chose to be there. You have to choose. Revelation 3, 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus at the door of your heart. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. He knocks, he's not gonna break the door down. That's not the kind of God he is. He only values a relationship of choice. And mutuality. I stand at the door and knock. Every single person has to open the door. And some people say, well, why would a loving God send people to hell? I have a question. Why would any sane person reject such a loving God? That's my question. We have such an incredibly loving God who died on the cross so that no one would go to hell. Why would any person refuse the grace of God? And Jesus actually answers this question. Let me read it to you and I'll be finished. Here's what Jesus said, John 3. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Jesus answers the question right there. Why would anyone refuse the grace of God? Because they love evil. Why would anyone reject the light? Because they love the darkness. It's their choice. No one has to come to God. God desires that no one would perish. 
but everyone would come to the knowledge of the truth. And when people say, why would a loving God send any person to hell? What they're basically saying is, I refuse to accept consequences. And I refuse to accept a higher moral authority than me. This is what happened to Israel. It's what happened to Adam and Eve. It's what happened to Lucifer. World history is replete with examples of people who rebelled against God. I won't rebel against God. I'm giving my life to him completely and totally. I opened the door of my heart and I invited Jesus in. He created me. He died for me. He gave me life. I'll serve him for all of eternity gladly. And I believe because of that and because of his grace, I will experience the pleasures of heaven forever. At every campus, the altar rails are going to open uh, at the end of this message. And I want to say something to two groups of people. Uh, everyone is welcome to come down and pray. Our prayer ministers, our altar ministers will be here at the front. But I want to say that two groups of people, if you're in pain, if, if you're suffering and you're in pain, I want to encourage you to come down and just say, I'm hurting. I'm hurting physically. I'm hurting emotionally. I'm hurting in, we're hurting in our marriage. And I want somebody to pray with me. And they will. If you don't know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior, if you've never personally opened your heart to receive Jesus into your life, this is your opportunity. You don't know that you'll get another one. God promises tomorrow to no one, but you have right now. And I want to encourage you, you can bring a friend, you can bring a family member, but if I've, as I have been speaking, you just know you're not ready to meet Jesus. And you have not made that decision to make him the Lord of your life. After I get through praying and the altar rails are open, I want you to come, bring a friend, bring a family member, come down quickly and receive prayer. Everyone else who's hurting, you come down and you receive prayer. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. Lord, we look forward to the day when the pain stops. Pain came into the human race because of human rebellion against you. It was never your will, ever. But you have created a place for us a paradise for us that we will go with you too on the day that you come. You're gonna redeem us to pleasure. You're gonna redeem us away from the pain that we live in right now. And we look forward to that, God. We lift up our heads. We see all the signs of the times happening. We lift up our heads. We encourage ourselves that the coming of Jesus is near. But Lord, I speak to pain right now in the name of Jesus. Your word says by your stripes were healed and the punishment for our peace was upon you. I speak peace to pain right now. I speak peace to suffering right now. Mental suffering, emotional suffering, physical suffering, relational suffering. I speak peace to you right now calm the troubled waters of our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our relationships. And I pray that we would live in a supernatural peace that only you bring, Lord. And that peace, God, would manifest itself in every area of our life. I pray that you would bless your people, Lord. I pray that you'd open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that they could not receive. And that every blessing, Jesus, that you died and rose again to give us, that you would pour it out upon every precious saint of Gateway Church, every person watching in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys.